the way I was taught is there's family roles, there's community roles, and if you teach every kid the same thing, we're not going to rely on each other as a unit. Good morning, Native America! Hey, I'm Santana. And I'm Haley. I'm Bella. And this is Young and Indigenous Podcast. And I'm here with Young and Indigenous Podcast is an outlet for people to know about Indigenous knowledge, storytelling, and history. Through our youthful journeys as Indigenous people, through these stories, young people and elders share their experiences with us. Without them, we wouldn't be able to do this. I'm about to tell some red stories. Stay tuned. <laughs> podcast episode you'll get to hear the experiences of teachers and summer youth providing cultural art opportunities for our Lummi youth like language, beading, cedar weaving, and wool arts. So uh, with my group we're teaching Lummi language and I think the important thing is that um, the students are encouraged to learn as much as they can about their culture and when we talk about our language, that's the base, that's the foundation for our culture. Anybody know what this is? Black bird. <laughs> <laughs> the blackberry is called Squanaunuk. stop and think about everything that our culture has language is always involved so these might be simple words like plants tools but every word that we have in Lama language is important to our people and I think that um, we really need to understand and make sure that we carry it on to the next generations and so that's what my crew is doing today. This is the wild rose and it's called Coco. Coco. The wild rose. Coco. 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 What? Coco. Coco. Oh. Coco. How you say it? Coco. Coco? I don't know. I tried it. <laughs> is it? Was it? Coco? Coco? Yes. Coco? Okay, so my name is Kiara Salin and I'm from Lummi. And I am one of the Oxalas. And today we play, we learned about plants and a few traditional tools. And then we played some bingo using Clummy Chasson words. 
and after our bingo game, we played telephone using Chloe Chasson words. Bingo. Bingo. Oh. Um, growing up, I wasn't exposed to my Lummi culture, so going into freshman year of high school, I took Smackia's class and picked up the language pretty quick. And I, I also love teaching people, and sharing our language is important because not a lot of people know the Lummi language. So. Hello, my name is Shashartio. My English name is Danielle Wright, and I'm from Lummi. Um, just tell me why you got into language and what made you want to teach. I got into language when I was a sophomore in high school. I didn't take it my freshman year because I didn't know about it until like <laughs> later on. You're like, oh, I like this. I want to be a part of it. Yeah, it started with me sneaking off into his classroom. <laughs> and, I love that. And, and him making me do my introduction. And then I started working for him in the summertime when I was 16, and ever since, I've just been helping and trying my best to teach others and learn more. Um, but it really helped me find who I am and my purpose. I think it was just more going up to the mountains, getting mm -hmm. the cedar, and then I just, I joined them that way, and then I just started, I don't even know how I ended up start doing these classes yeah. with them. I tried to just jump in. We were doing them for like years. I think maybe like five, six years when we first started, people were calling us kind of scouts, you know, for teaching people this, and I was yeah. like, this is a dying art, and we don't teach this. I was like, who else is going to teach us, you yeah. know? I was like, we can't just keep it in our family. We got to, sure. you know, share it with the community, and they... I think after we start doing that, I think, you know, it's a sense of pride seeing these kids wearing our stuff, too, you know? Yeah. I like seeing my hats go walk around, you know? I'm Toshi Simmons. Um, my grandparents are Ada Simmons and Ward Simmons. I come from Lola Claire, Warbiz, okay. and uh, Simmons family. My name's Lee Plaster. Uh, my late father is Frank Plaster. And my mother is the late Eugenia Paul Plaster. Um, I started working with Cedar way back in 79, I believe, with my mom. And go up and pull bark with her. And the rest is history. What is it that you like about weaving and teaching to children? Um, Hoping that somebody, some of these, some of these young kids will pick it up and take over, like my daughter here taking over with the construction and taking over the weaving. Yeah. So, I mean, somebody's got to keep it going, keep mm -hmm. our cult culture going. You know, you can't, you can't buy the bark at Walmart. Mm -hmm. You got to go harvest it. Go, go to your elders that know how to do it and learn to how to harvest it and. Um, take care of it. Just like any other natural resource, you overuse it, then it's gone. What are you learning? Um, how to make roses. I'm on my fourth one. It's getting better and better. And I'm making a whole necklace out of it. Cool.
fifth one. Oh, fifth, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I'm on my fifth one. You're really good at them. Side business. Side business. <laughs> <laughs> my name is Claudia Plaster. I'm from Mummy. Um, I do believe I started reading when I was about seven, maybe younger. Um, the first time I, I, re, I wove was with um, the late Anna Jefferson, I think that's her name, and Marie Hawk, and my parents, Lucy LeClaire and Lee Plaster. Um, I made a um, basket for my kindergarten teacher. Um, and yeah, I make baskets, hats, um, graduation caps, baby hats. Roses. Yeah. So during this process of learning art, how did it make you feel learning from the people that taught you? Um, it was an honor. I got to um, see what they were doing. Like when um, I was little, I didn't understand. Like, what? Why are we going to the college? You know. Yeah. But um. She sat me down and she asked me if I wanted to, you know. Like the saying is, you can learn from, sometimes you can't learn from your parents, you can learn from others, and that's where I come from. Um, I can learn from my parents, but it's more easier for me to learn from my aunt, uncle. Nazi am Lutlicia Sinisnat, uh Chuklamisin, Lutkanam Tinaman, uh Hula Lukla e Huyaistia La Sinasosila. Um so hello to who is listening. Um my name is Lit my traditional name is Litlicia. My English name is Nancy Jefferson. My dad is Joseph Jefferson, his traditional name is Joseph Jefferson. Or tr traditional name is Lutkanam. Um, my grandparents are the late Leonard Jefferson and the late Marion Kelly. Their traditional names were Huililuk and Huyaistia. Um, so today I prepared, um, my loom and it was a lesson to the students that whatever work you do, you want to put good energy in, and if you are having negative thoughts, if you're thinking about drama or anything that's stressing you out, it's going to show in your work, and it's going to be carried through your work. I also told them that, you know, it's something that we should be prideful when we're doing, um, because this is something that somebody's going to carry with them. Um, and typically, we would make blankets out of wool, we would make shawls, we would make um, sashes, and we would gift them. Okay, um, so you left off that one. Okay, so you're gonna jump to four, and loom it through. <laughs> so I wasn't next. Uh, got it. Okay, then you're going to lift your foot and pull this. The, the specific design that I had prepared today was taught to me by um, our late Ch Chief 
um, Bill James, uh, his traditional name, Salik. Um, and I did talk a little bit about um, learning from him. Um, he, he and my other teacher, Smackia, were the ones to teach me to put my good energy into my work. And um, I told all of the, those who were learning from me today a little funny story about um, learning from him is if you made a mistake, he'd kind of look and just go, hmm. And so you'd have to look, really look at your work and double check and see if you made a mistake. Sometimes he'd do it just for fun. I also shared that before, long, long, long before we had store-bought wool, um, we had a breed of dog um, called the woolly dog, which is now extinct. Um, And that was our main resource for wool. Um, And to dye the wool, we had, you know, different colors. We had black. We had some we kept white. Others were... A shade of red. Some were yellow. We would use plants for um, yellow. I believe we used like cherry bark to dye our um, not just wool, but like cedar red. Um, we used a dried up horsetail water or water sprout is what they're also called when they're dried up and they're black, and we soak them. Um, that would provide our dye for the black, among other things. Um, yeah, I, I I don't know everything, but that is what I can recall and what information I was able to share with the students about how we traditionally would do this. So this is um, the Cooperative Extension Garden. Um, as you can see, there's a bunch of different um, variety of plants that are actually grown throughout this garden. And um, one of the first plants I just wanted to share with you is um, salmonberry. And this is the salmonberry plant right here. Um, I actually only started with one, one, um, only one species of the salmonberry plant and as you can see a bunch of springlings just popped up and so I think I counted the last time there's 27 new salmonberry plants that I have in this garden right now 27 yeah because you can see like little baby ones that are popping up everywhere yeah I only had I only there came from one plant it came from this plant right here and just because you know the wind and you know birds eating and pollinating and things like that it just it it blew everywhere and it popped up in different places and so um the salmonberry plant is right here and um during the month of june and july it produces these very beautiful berries that are anywhere between like a light orange to a light red and um how you can tell it is a salmonberry plant is we also call it the butterfly plant is if you um take this top leaf and you fold it down and it's in the shape of a butterfly and so I actually named my daughter after this plant in our language it's called Alila and that translates into salmonberry and so that's what I named my daughter after. I have a calendula plant. Um, Calendula is an amazing plant. Um, It's actually one of the plants that we used to use a long time ago to color our foods. 
and also to um, you get that uh, yellow dye. We dyed it like you know wool and different uh, things like that. But um, this is a calendula plant, and if you feel the top of the plant, you can kind of feel that it's oily. And I like to um, use this plant and use it in um, oil to make um, an herbal infused oil. And it's really good for um, eczema and psoriasis and different type of skin irritations. Um, I also like to use this plant in something that's called um, the wildflower and um, wildflower and calendula rescue balm. And so in that balm is actually a nooka rose and the calendula plant. Um, one of my participants um, came to my class about three weeks ago when we did herbal first aid kits. And so we um, used all of our traditional plants and medicines to put together a first aid kit that we can take with us on the canoe journey or any type of journeys we go on. But she said that she um, just found out she tore her meniscus in her knee, and so she's gonna have to get surgery and nothing would take away the pain, but she used the wildflower and calendula rescue balm, and that was like the first time she hasn't felt any pain in her body for weeks. And so she called and thanked me to show her that um, there's medicine that's growing all around us and she didn't even know about it. Yarrow or squirrel's tail. Um, as you can see, the um, flowers are white and um, helps coagulate your blood. So what I would do is if I was bleeding and I wanted to stop the bleeding, I would um, pick up the top of these plants and then I would kind of mash them up or break them up because I want the cells to open up so I can get the therapeutic properties from this plant. And then I would um, add just a little bit of water just to kind of make like a poultice. And then I would put it where I'm bleeding at and it would actually stop the bleeding flower. Fireweed. And so um, you, you'll see that growing around inside the roads. And a lot of people actually like to use this plant um, to infuse in honey. And so it's a really, it has like a, I don't, it kind of like a spicy aroma. And then, um, you have this one too. This one is um, mullein. So that's actually a weed that grows around in the garden. And um, yes, and it's fuzzy. That's called mullein plant. And um, different tribes use it for different different ways. And so I would actually make a tea out of this plant. I dry the leaves and make a tea out of it or an elixir. And we use that plant, especially if you had um, lung issues or respiratory problems. Or if you had tuberculosis, you would drink that tea to help kind of soothe those symptoms and take away the symptoms for that. Um, like I mentioned, I was in Montana. I just got back here like at 10.50, drove all night. And I went over there and I met um, a couple of Indians from the Flathead Reservation. And they use the mullein tea, they actually, or they use the mullein leaves to smoke. And so they said they dried up the plant and they would put it in their pipe and they would smoke the plant to help alleviate their respiratory lung problems. So each tribe uses the plant differently. Tell me who you are and where you're from. Um, my name's Keani L. I'm from Lummi, but I'm also Canadian Blackfoot and um, Filipino. So just tell me a little about beading and why did you get into it? Um, I didn't start beading until I started doing Running Start approximately two years ago. 
Um, I took a beading class as an elective, and they taught us how to make lanyards. And my, um, there are people in my family that bead, that, but there wasn't really anyone that was able to teach me. So after I took that class, I started going on the internet and trying to figure out how to do other things like earrings, hoops, stuff like that. And a lot of the methods and stuff I basically had to teach myself. Um, like the beaded hoops that we were working on um, during the event. Um, so with beading, when I was first taught how to bead, I thought back to like various traditional things that I wanted to learn, but I couldn't like, like let's say canning fish or going on the boat with my family but um so it, it just um, became very important to me it's all it's also become a form of self-care because um for me it's really therapeutic when I'm working on beating I'm able to step back away from other things going on in my life and just being there keeping myself busy having something I could focus on instead of everything else I need to do so it's basically um taking a step back and being in my own space and having something I could work on that's productive I totally agree like our people say that um we just always need to keep our hands busy and I really like that you say that because I'm just like they're always with us when we're doing those things and um you know like some of these things were almost lost so it's good that we're giving back and giving back to the youth by providing this opportunity. Um, How do you think beating is related to um, youth mental health? Youth mental health, in my opinion, it could be the same as doing an after-school activity, maybe even sports, learning to play the piano, or something, giving someone the interest and motivation to do something and keep trying and trying and trying and on top of that so it's um part of our culture it's part of our history so it kind of ties into a spiritual wellness like you get to be have this connection with your ancestors and you also have the knowledge and the traditional wellness to pass it on to a future generation which is what i was trying to do when I started working for the Center for Health program. Is there anything that you would like to say to the youth or anybody into the community about beating or just anything that you just been through in your life and what's helped you to bring you where you are today? I was a first generation college student. I the reason I got into the Center for Health program is because in college I'm gonna I'm going through uh, care, and um, I've always wanted to give back to the community who've had similar struggles than what I did as a child, whether it be substance abuse, um, with my mom being banished, foster care system. Um, first-generation college student, there's a number of things that would be considered setbacks, and I think that if we focus on 
bettering ourselves, whether it be through beating or through learning Lummi language, just plain healing for getting a counselor, reaching out to people, then I think that that would help break the um, cycle of intergenerational trauma. But also, when it comes to beating, don't be afraid to make your mistakes because I've learned that with every person who beats, they are also their own biggest criticizer. And I'm guilty of it. I still do it. (laughs) Um, But it's just... If you enjoy beating and you do it not to make money, well, I guess people can do that as a part of that, but you don't just do it as a form of income and you actually like the experience of beating, then try not to be so hard on yourself because that personal degrading can hinder how you feel about what you actually want to do and I'm guilty of that too I actually stopped beating for around six months because I felt that I wasn't doing it right other people were doing different things I didn't know how to do those things and so I took a step back and went back at it when I was feeling more comfortable with it and on top of that I didn't want to have all these negative emotions affect the work that I do so I guess what I really want to say is just don't be so hard on yourself you're gonna critique your work but if you enjoy it then it should be fine (laughs) (laughs) wow I really like that you say that um that's how I feel with the podcast like I've just been finally getting started on this with again I've just been doubting myself so much in it and just feel like I couldn't do it but now that you say that I feel like those are just words I needed to hear (laughs) I'm kind of mind blowing it can be applied to many um different things many different interests like um I keep going back to sports but I'm going back to like possibly after school programs I've also been working with Swinomish and Skagit and teaching the kids down there how to bead and lately I have been bringing my own personal stuff the kids were actually interested in it and they really wanted to do it and even though it's like stuff I bought for my own money and we have beading stuff at the Center for Health it's not what they wanted to do they didn't want to do a lanyard they wanted the majority of the people were girls and they wanted to learn how to do that and so I chose to bring my own stuff down there and offered to teach them because and I say again I didn't have anyone to teach me in my early life and I liked seeing the kids with a a giant a big interest in that in that part of their culture wow I really appreciate that and I was just telling one of my coworkers, I was like she like brought all her own stuff and was teaching us you know and it was really heartwarming that she did all of that so I just really wanted to hear your background and story on why you were doing these things so thank you and I appreciate everything that you're doing for our community and just to know that you are giving back thank you that's really awesome
The way I was taught is with families, everyone has, there's family roles, there's community roles, and if you teach every kid the same thing, we're not gonna rely on each other as a unit, and it's just not gonna be as significant. Like, your family, I'm assuming fishermen? Fishermen, yeah. My family canned, smoked fish, um, kneaded, uh, knitted those like gowns for for like crab bay, yeah. and I chose to learn how to bead. Some people are singers, some people are dancers, some people are canoers, canoe pullers, and I think once you find what works for you and what you like to do, then you should pursue that. You don't have to learn beading. That's why it was optional. It was it was optional for that because it's a skill not everyone's gonna hone. So, but it was nice to see the kids so intrigued and make a lot of the mentors <laughs> through LIBC wanting to make earrings. It was really nice to see how intrigued everyone was. And um, it was just a really good time. I, I definitely love arts and craft like my grandma. So like once I get into that stuff, I'm just, I stay busy and I get into it. So <laughs> that cracks me up about you talking about the kids too. Cause I remember a lot of them when I did the summer youth program and all of them were just little babies and now they're all just teenagers. And I'm like, yeah. oh my God. I know I'm like you're taller than me what the heck <laughs> but also I'm really proud of you and all of your accomplishments because I know from your background you've came from a hard life and just to see where you are I'm, I'm really proud of you thank you you're welcome <laughs> Cultural arts. The day we spent with these youth was a really fun day. I love learning about art and language. It really makes my heart full. I've done it many times before. I always want to keep at it after I learn. I like to learn my language and keep my hands busy when I can. But playing the language games and watching all the youth learn about their culture was heartwarming. They all enjoyed it and was plenty of learning. They all were asking questions and getting to learn how to do these things. I love the beating part, being able to learn and do the things our people have done. Even bringing back things that were almost lost, just like Tochi said about weaving and teaching it to our people. It will be a dying arts if we don't teach our children and our people. I'm glad these events happen because I always feel my people with me. When I do, I know the things that we are doing are important, and I know that my people are with me through it. That helps me more with the work that I'm doing, to know that I'm doing the right thing for my people, and to know that I'm giving back.
Heishka, and thank you to all the participants in this podcast episode for your knowledge and words to us and our communities who love learning about indigenous culture. Heishka to Snakia, Kiara, and Danielle for language. Heishka to Lee, Toshi, and Claudia for weaving. Heishka to Nancy for your words and wool weaving. Heishka to Kiani for beading. Heishka to Katrina for providing this opportunity for us and letting us come and be a part of these culture events with the youth and providing podcast opportunities for them as well. And Heishka to Anita James. Enjoy the teachings from our gifted people in our community. I hope you continue to come back and to listen to more. Heishka. Thank you for listening to Young and Indigenous. You can follow us at YAYAI podcast on Facebook and Instagram. Heishka to the First Nations Development Institute. And the Discurrent Foundation. Our hands go up to you. Yay is part of Children of the Setting Sun Productions. Intro song by Keith Jefferson, Adam Lawrence, and Mark Nichols. Original music by Mark Nichols, Julie Lewis, and Shinoa Agawa. Original music by Swill Canem. Thank you to Laura Boom for sharing your knowledge of plant medicines. Thanks to the rest of the team, Tani, Leah, and Shoreen, for this opportunity. This podcast is brought to you by the Northwest Indian College Center for Health and the LIBC Native Connections Project, a grant funded by the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, SAMHSA 5H79SM063454. The views, opinions, and content expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views, opinions, or policies of the Center for Substance Abuse Prevention, the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, or the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Thank you. Please, subscribe now. Subscribe, please, on Apple (laughs) Apple Music, Music, Spotify, Spotify, and don't forget Google Play. Ah, yeah,